This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Oh, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Shot blew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons and I'm the co-host of this weekly radio show dedicated to the sport of professional tennis, both the men's and the women's side. You can catch us daily over at the 405 Media and at Max Sports Channels. You can find us on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at FlashTennis31. It's going to be a great time today. We're going to take a look at a couple of articles that veteran 
tennis writer Peter Bodo has written. And we're going to look at some other things because we have one week to go before the Australian Open begins. And joining me to talk about all these things and a lot more tennis, please welcome from the wee country of Scotland, Craig Doyle's in the house. Craig, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing very well, Phil. I uh, I love the little introduction there, the wee country of Scotland. It's uh, catching on over there in America. How to speak Scottish. Quite yeah, impressed. Yeah, that. Well, yeah, you know, I coach Scottish kids, so it's all good in the hood. I understand we. I know what we means. I know what a dour Scotsman is, too. And that's the interesting <laughs> thing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when you talk about this Australian Open that's coming up, it's going to be a lot of fun. And one of the things that happens invariably because tennis is a year-round season is we get articles written about all kinds of things. And at the beginning of the year, people chime in about what they'd like to see happen with players during the year. And Peter Bodo, who is a writer for Tennis Magazine and ESPN and a whole bunch of other things, he's been around a long time. I have a great amount of respect for Peter Bodo. He wrote the following. Number two, Maria Sharapova is in a somewhat unusual situation. At 27, she has a career Grand Slam. That puts her in the history books, even though she's won just five Grand Slam titles, most recently at the French Open. Not nearly good enough to put her on the short list of great champions. What she can do, however, is add at least a win or two over Serena to her dismal 2-16 head-to-head record. Don't ever forget that people always forget Should Sharapova beat Williams on a big stage, it will do wonders overnight for her status. Now, I've written a posting over at philnasonshow.com to accompany this radio program where you can download. Boy, short list, Craig. Short list. What do you think about that short list, Craig? (laughs) It's, uh, It's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? I mean... We maybe I just had a, a little preview of that when when we read it. We had a, we exchanged a few words, and I, I think we were both staggered um, about this shortlist. And uh, when when we say shortlist, it really is a shortlist of uh, women in the open era who have got a, a grand slam. And whether she's won five titles or you know ten titles. It's kind of irrelevant. You only got to win four to win the Grand Slam if you win the right ones. But uh, and she's done that, and she's one of the highest profile players in women's tennis, uh, both on the court in terms of her achievements, uh, the age she broke through, and the, uh, the the fact that she's probably one of the highest earning sportswomen, if not the highest earning sportswomen in the world. So uh, I, I find Peter Bodo's statement. It's just extraordinary on all levels. I mean, there's two things I take from it. And uh, the, the first is, should Sharapova, or maybe should just say, should anyone beat Williams on the big stage? It would do wonders for their status overnight. Because, um, you know, Williams is number one, and anyone beats number one player, it's, it's an achievement to be recognized. But of all people to to highlight and stick that statement against, to stick it against Sharapova's name, um, I mean, he's, he, is he highlighting the only thing that she hasn't really achieved? Is a successful record against Williams? Is is that the point of his his little statement? Or, I mean, to me, it's it's extraordinary. I, I'm not sure what you think. 
<laughs> well, I didn't show you the article that's accompanying the show. <laughs> but here, I'll tell you what. This is the short list of, of women in, since the open era has begun who have won a career Grand Slam. Margaret Court, Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf, Serena Williams, and Maria Sharapova. How much shorter does the list need to be? <laughs> what short list should she be on of great champions? I think that's a pretty good list right there. I think I would be content with that being on that list right there if I were a female or anybody for that matter. <laughs> I mean, what what list does she what list does she need to get on by beating Serena? But I'll tell you what. Here, I'll give you one. Here, you want to know the short list that I'd be shooting for that she can never be? Go for it. Entertain us. Sybil Bammer and Arantxa Sanchez Vicario are the only two females in the history of the women's tennis who have played Serena multiple times that have a winning record against her. Everyone else has a losing record against her. Here, here's another short list of ladies who have beaten Serena four or more times in their history. Venus Williams, 11 and 14. Jennifer Capriati, 7 and 10. Martina, Martina Hingis, 6 and 7. Justine Hennen, 6 and 8. Elena Dementieva, 5 and 7. <laughs> what has she got to do? I mean, this is a pretty interesting list, too. But how come she, uh, What about all these other ladies who uh, have fallen to Serena, like everyone that's ever played her? <laughs> I mean, what is it, beating Serena more than twice? That's a pretty big accomplishment considering this list of who've only beaten her four times or more. Oh, Maron, what does this guy want from her? It's extraordinary, isn't it? I think, you know, when you come to Sharapova, she's done so much in the game. She's got such a massive status. that When you write one of these um, season opening preview things and and you come to something to save for Sharapova, well, you know, she could turn up at any of these slams and win it, or, you know, she can win none of them or, or whatever. But the only thing, you know, you can really say about her is that she's not very good against Serena Williams, you know. Uh, and, you know, Serena's one of the greatest all-time players. She'll be on your, you know, the top 10 list of all-time greats, probably. So it's it's no shame to have a 216 record against a player that good. So... Is that the achievement for Sharapova this year? Is is her achievement to go out and improve her two sixteen record and make it six sixteen or something? Is 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 that what's going to be a good season for Maria Sharapova this year? Or four and eighteen if she wins twice? Like that's what he expects her to win twice. Oh my own! You know what? This short list. I'm going to read it again. Of Grand Slam career Grand Slam winners in the Open era: Margaret Court, Chris Everett. Martina Navratilova, Steffi Graf, Serena Williams, and Maria Sharapova. That's the only list that matters. And she's on there whether she never beats Serena again. I mean, what do you want to do? Take away one of her Grand Slams because she didn't beat Serena somewhere? <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes I, I marvel at the foolishness behind some of these statements. I mean, even this list, okay, she's not even on this list. The Venus Williams, Jennifer Capriati, Martina Hingis, Justine Hannon, and Elena Dementieva list who have beaten her more than four times. Big deal, but they still don't have a winning record against Serena. Nobody does, except for Arancha Sanchez-Vicario and Sybil Bammer. Now, where's Sybil Bammer these days? Uh, probably lying by the pool somewhere. Or more than likely teaching tennis somewhere because she probably didn't make enough money to lie by the pool. 
but uh, Rancha Sanchez Vicario has, and she claims to be broke. So uh, where are these people with their lifetime records? Unfortunately, I have to side with Maria Sharapova on this one. She doesn't need to beat Serena ever again to be on that list of career Grand Slam winners. And the way the volatility of women's tennis, I don't think you're going to see another one do it for quite a while. So I don't really think it matters at all. And that's what I said in my article, my little, my little uh, posting to accompany this radio program, Greg. And that'll be a fascinating read. I'm sure you're going to link me up with that afterwards. Oh, I'm certain that I will. It'll be on my Facebook page. You know, I don't know how fascinating it is. It's basically what I just said, but it is what it is. You know, I I don't know what these people expect. But one thing I didn't expect: Roger Federer won his 1,000th career tennis match alongside his 83rd professional tennis title. 1,000 matches, Craig. He's on the unique list of only three men who have ever won a thousand matches. I wonder how many big more, how many more big matches he needs to win. Maybe he needs to beat Rafael Nadal at a Grand Slam final, and so he can get on that short list too. Who knows? But Jimmy Connors has twelve hundred and fifty-three career wins. Ivan Lendl, Lendl, the career loser for a while in his career, managed to win a thousand seventy-one, and Fed has one thousand now. Is he now the greatest of all time, you think? Oh, I think you already had him at the greatest of all time when we reviewed that last year. But, uh, yeah, he's certainly up there. Um, what an astonishing achievement. And, uh, you know, this isn't just someone who's come and dominated for a year or two years or, you know, even three or four years. This is a guy that's, you know, he's dominated for the best part of a decade. Um and by dominated, you know, a thousand match wins. I mean, each week, you know, you're, you're going to play five matches, six matches a week maximum. If you're playing at one of these smaller tournaments, a Grand Slam, you're only playing seven matches. So the longevity and the uh, consistency that's acquired, it's such a huge achievement. And I think it's quite right that uh, people are recognizing and uh, respecting that achievement. That's a lot of wins, man. Think about that, Craig. That's a lot of wins. 1,000 career matches. That's a lot. 83 titles on the ATP Tour. He's had some stiff competition along the way, too. Man, what, what more can you say about the guy? Not much. Not much. You know, he's been healthy. He's been lucky. I don't see anyone coming close to him ever again, either. I mean, that's another thing. The volatility of the men's game is the same. And it is interesting achievement. And it's really interesting in light of Peter Bodo who wrote another article this past week. He's on he's on fire, man. But then that's why he's a legendary sports writer, you know. Um, but he put this one out there two days ago. Imagine a life without the big four. And he got this idea when uh, Novak Djokovic lost to Carlo Ivo Karlovic. And then uh, Rafael Nadal lost to a qualifier, Michael Barrer. And then Fed lost the first set of an opener in Brisbane to a wild card. And Andy Murray has a sore shoulder. And he opines that life would be different without the big four in there. And it would be chaotic, I believe, is what he said. What do you think about that? Would it be chaotic without the big four? 
I don't think so. I, I think the situation in not just tennis, but many sports, is that when you don't have those dominant personalities at the top of the game, someone else rises up and takes that spot. Um, in tennis, it's, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to say who it will be. It may only be someone for two or three years who'll come to the top, they'll win you know, two or three slams, then someone else will rise up. But, uh, you know, tennis has, has had these four players for a significant amount of time and there's been no young talents joined them and a lot of the other talent that's been there, there have been flashes from guys like Warinka, Chilich, even the likes of Songa, you know, guys who were pretenders to, to that sort of four players. But at the end of the day, if you, if you take them out, I, I, I just think it's the order of things that someone there will establish themselves as the elite player, whether that's a Chilich or uh, someone consistent like a Ferrer. It's just how it is. I, I think it would be very entertaining in a world where you don't have these four players because, well, we would win the Grand Slams, you know. You would have a lot a lot more excitement. Um, I, I think that the second tier players is, uh, you know, guys like Berdich as well. You can consider him. There certainly would be a, a bigger variety of Grand Slam champions. There would be a lot more interest and excitement from that perspective. But I I think, on the other hand, you, you might lose a little bit of the merchandising side of things that, that comes with the uh, brand identity that's brought by like a Federer or a Nadal. You lose a lot of the casual fans, the people who, uh, you know, they turn the TV on to watch these players. So it's, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword. On, on one hand, I think it might be a little more exciting. On the other hand, you might lose a little bit of the fan base. It's it's very intriguing concept, but it's uh, very much a, a what-if as opposed to uh, a, a possible you know scenario based in reality because we have these four players and we should be uh, fortunate that we do. Exactly. We should enjoy them while they're here. And that's it. That's what we have to do. Enjoy them while they're here, and there'll be others to take their place. People were worried when Bjorn Borg retired. What will happen to tennis? And guess what? It continued on and carried on. And then people wondered and worried, what will happen when John McEnroe disappears? And it came on and it carried on. And the same thing with Agassi and Sampras and those fellas. And it's carried on, and it will carry on again. No question about it. The other thing I was thinking, Craig, is now there's a reason to watch those early rounds of those Grand Slams because you'll be more interested in seeing some of these players who more than likely would have gotten knocked out easy coming through and giving them opportunities to come through just like these guys got. It's, tennis is a, is a cyclical sport, and their cycle is just about over and while we appreciate them for what they were able to do and how they how much they entertained us and how much they increased the fans of this great sport of tennis, there'll be others to take their place. It always is the case. Always is the case, Craig. Always. And it'll be interesting. But chaos, I think chaos is a good thing sometimes, especially when it's a unpredictable chaos. It makes you want to watch young kids like Milos Raonic a little bit closer and others that you may not say, well, you know, why root for him? He's going to get knocked out in the quarters 
by Nadal or Sampras or, or Nadal or Federer. I got Sampras on the brain or whatever. It'll make it more interesting. We need more interest. But we don't know. We also, on the, same, on the opposite side of the coin, we don't want to push these guys out the door just yet. You know, I've been trying to push Roger Federer, or I did a few years ago, and that was a big mistake. I want to see these guys play and play at this high level that they are for as long as they can. And I don't see a change in right away. Do you? No, it's not going to change right away. I mean, as you said, I think not only you, but even I said Roger Federer, you know, a couple of years ago was finished. And he's not. It's it's clear he's not. I mean, he's already won a title this season for for goodness sake. You know, it's um, and I think David Ferrer is another one who's already won a title this season. Um, but these guys bring brand identity. They bring people to watch the game. And what you need is a, a sort of passing of the torch, a changing of the guard, whatever you want to call it, um, moment or two where. You know, Federer loses to uh, Raonic or Dimitrov in a Grand Slam. And the supporters of Federer, they, they, they respect what this young guy's done. And they become fans of these younger guys. And that way, we don't lose the fans who have been brought on board by this um, golden era, if you will, where Federer and Nadal have been on top. So these fans that have come to enjoy the game stay with the game, and they enjoy these new styles as they come along. And I think that's the way tennis grows, tennis stays exciting, and it, it maintains its big fan base. Absolutely. The women's tour survived it, and so will the men's. And, and even though, like I said, it'll be disappointing and a sad day when these guys disappear, it is what it is. It's all part of the game. It's a, the cyclical sport or the cyclical nature of this game. And guys don't stay on top for very long. These guys have stayed on for a while. I'm not so sure Murray is one of those four anymore. You know, he's kind of demonstrated he doesn't really care all that much. At least he looks that way to me. But then that's the dour Scotsman in him. So uh, it is what it is. But for them to go away, and it'll be disappointing. But still, come on. We got lots of guys to look at. There's a lot of young kids coming up. You name one of them. Milos Rayanich, he's fantastic. What about Maria Sharapova's boyfriend, Grigor Dimitrov? He's another one that's just fascinating. And those kids will have their own fan bases too. You know, we might lose the Serbian fan base, which is fair enough. But we'll gain so much more. And that's why this sport is so great. And the global nature of it, that next, that next big four is right around the corner. Start watching your junior tennis matches, the ITF junior matches. You might see one of those guys, and one day you can say you saw them play when they were a kid. I think it's fun. That's what I love about tennis. You know, the one thing I, I was so excited about, Craig, was this Australian Open would have the top 100 guys in the tournament. All of the top 100 guys <laughs> entered, and I remember a day when guys would just give it a Pasadena and not show up because it's too far to go too hot, wasn't big enough, and now everybody seems to want to play. And unfortunately, Joe Willifried Sanga has pulled out of this tournament. Where, what are we going to do without our French whipping boy? Well, it's, apparently he's not the only one who's pulled out. I heard this morning that U.S. Open champion Marin Cilic has also pulled out. So we're now short of our French Open whipping boy. 
and we're not even going to get the US Open champion. So I think that's now just the top 98 we're left with. Boy, what a bummer. The top well, 98 yeah. guys, what a bummer. What a bummer. <laughs> because Marin Silich and Joe Willifried Sanger bring so much excitement to the game. Well, you know, I, I, apart from you and I, I don't think anyone's even noticed because Rafael Nadal is playing, and that's more important to the casual tennis fan. Novak Djokovic is playing, so, you know, we'll get that Serbian audience you were talking about. Roger Federer is playing, so, you know, we'll get his audience. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, uh, Joe and uh, Marin have, have, have kind of ruined it. This, this first Australian Open where we were going to get all top 100 guys, it, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. And 99 of the top 100 women, too. And, and 99, yeah. I can't remember the gal who pulled out with his bad hip, but still, it is what it is. It's going to be fantastic. The Australian Open is going to be fantastic, and it's going to be so great. And I'm so excited about it that uh, Craig's going to be on my daily show on Monday to open it up and talk about it, as well as this week in tennis, because that's what we're going to do next week. We're going to talk about the Australian Open and give our picks like we used to do back in the old days. Right, Craig? Be fun. It certainly will be. I'm sure you'll have uh, some very interesting and varied opinions that uh, differ from mine, as always. I'm sure they will, and I, I will be interested in hearing who you think is going to win both sides of this thing as we make the dash for the cash with the flash. It ought to be a lot of fun. And and the thing is, is, you know, if the big four disappear one day and they're going to, that's okay. There's a lot of young people to watch. What about young Bernie Tomac? How's he doing these days? I haven't seen anything about Bernie. Is he still around? You know, it's quite funny because I was just thinking a few minutes ago when you mentioned the Australian Open, we haven't really mentioned any of our favorite Australian tennis players. And I thought, I wonder if Bernie's made the main draw. Um, is he still ranked in the top 100? I'm not even sure. I, I, we'll have to take a look here real quick. I, I think he is. I, it won't matter because you'll, you'll get a wild card anyway. Well, Australian, I, he's kind of ticked off the folks in Tennis Australia, though, hasn't he? Let's see where young... Let's see where young Bernie is. I've got him ranked 53. Well, he's in there then, and he'll be there. Jack Sock will be there too. Lucas Rosal will be there. Let's see who else. Sam Query, he's going to be there. That ought to be fun. Stevie Johnson will be there, another hot, hot American. Let's see who else we got here. Gils Mueller. I like him a lot, but I don't think he's going to do much. Leighton Hewitt. What would be a Australian Open without Rusty? And then you yeah, Kyrgios too. Nick Kyrgios. That's a good one. We've got a lot of Donald Young. He's ranked 57 in the world right now. God bless him. This is going to be an exciting time, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the Australian Open next week. We'll actually have the draw in front of us, which is probably one of those few times when we actually would do that. Because normally, and that never stopped us from have, not having the draw, did it? <laughs> we, we had our own draws. We had our own draws. <laughs> See, because of the big four, we could always count on them being the in the last four, so everything else was a moot point. But now that we've disagreed with Peter Bodo, we have to come up with some uh, young guns, Craig, to uh, get in to the final. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I, I think we do. I think we've got to have, uh, have some fresh names, um, new year. Um, 
some some different names. You know, I, I quite you know Pablo Carino Busta. There's a nice tennis name, isn't it? Absolutely. One for the commentators. Oh, young yeah, gun from that. Spain. Am yeah, I, we'll have a bit of that. Where's my guy at? Where's my guy from Poland? Oh, uh, um, Jersey Janowicz. Yeah, or, Jersey Janowicz. Jersey Janowicz. Where's Jersey? Is he still around? Yeah, he's just outside the seats at 43. He played last week in the Hopman Cup over in Perth, and he actually won it. Well, Agnesia Radwanska won it, but uh, he was on the winning team. That was fantastic. But I'll tell you what, it's been a great time talking tennis with you, my friend. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much for having me back. All right, that's Craig Doyle. And you can find him at craigdoylephotography.com, and that's going to wrap it up for this week in tennis for this week. He's Craig Doyle. I'm Phil Nasons. Enjoy the tennis.